Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Story Smack. Hello, my name is A. Kovacs and I'm a founding partner at Empty Sound Entertainment. And my name is Scottimus Decimus Siglericus, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legion, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. And those are my dogs running around. You can hear their colors clinking. And this is episode 13 of Story Smack, the podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. Today... We are talking about the 25th anniversary of Gladiator, the movie that won the Academy Award for Best Picture in 2000. Timmy, do you like movies about gladiators? Nice airplane reference, (laughs) FDO. This, right now, is your spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Gladiator first, I would like to make sure that you do. I think from the look on the FDO's face, he would like to do something different. You should be movie shamed. I don't think that's a thing. You should. Now, there's all kinds of shaming that we shouldn't do in our culture. Movie shaming is not one of them. You can be movie shamed. You don't have to watch every movie that exists just because the FDO thinks you should. However, this is a movie that is so good and so no matter what genre you like the most, there's something for everybody in this movie. It is an Academy Award winner, as I mentioned. So if you don't want any spoilers, turn this off, watch Gladiator, come back and listen. Okay. It is hard to believe it's been 25 years since Gladiator came out and cleaned up on hardware, winning Best Picture, Best Sound Design, Best Visual Effects, Best Costume Design, and Best Actor in a Leading Role for Russell Crowe. Now, we like to talk about storytellers on this show, not the just say the movie itself. So let's start with David Franzoni, who wrote the original screenplay for this movie. His first movie was a Whoopi Goldberg joint called Jumping Jack Flash. Oh, I love the 80s so much. (laughs) He wrote a TV movie called Citizen Cone, which starred James Woods, and then he hit it big with 1997's Amistad. The strength of that screenplay was so strong, it landed him a three-picture deal with DreamWorks SKG, of which Gladiator was the second flick. Interesting. The story goes he had, for Gladiator, this is the story I found online, and this is the dream of all screenwriters and people wanting to get involved in movies. The story goes he had a surprisingly brief pitch meeting with producer Steven Spielberg who asked, question one, was it about ancient Roman gladiators, not American, Japanese, whatever else? Franzoni said, yes. Number two, did it take place in, an ancient Col- in the ancient Colosseum? Franzoni said, yes. Question number three, fighting with swords and animals to the death and such? Franzoni said, yes. Spielberg said, great, let's make that movie. Yeah, that that can't was it. Possibly be that's so apocryphal. That cannot be true <laughs> because he just happened to say, "Hi, I'm Dave Franzoni. I made Amistad," which of course Spielberg well, no, already he, knows him. He had a three picture deal, but right. So that and, and Amistad was so good. They just but even so, there's no. I mean, he's Steven Spielberg, so it's possible. But think about that. So he says, uh, "David's going to come in and or his assistant says, David's going to come in and pitch a movie called Gladiator.'" Mm-hmm. And Steve Spielberg is all like, "Great." And then it's like, I don't need no info. Steven Spielberg, <laughs> I don't a, need no info. That's an amazing Steven Spielberg impression. I'm so, Look, I'm, I don't need any info. What I need is a few questions. And a few questions, and I'd prefer if you had one-word answers. And I don't think that's true. I think it's possible 
Spielberg had had some gas station sushi and he was all upset about the belly. And he's like, I got to finish this meeting. I got to go. I got to, I got to get out of here. There are so many things about that short fiction (laughs) that I hope are not true, but the most among them is that gas station sushi exists. Well, uh, so it's, maybe it wasn't that easy, but that's the story. It's a great story. Uh, So what do you think Franzoni's done since then? I'm going to guess, you know, uh, he wrote King Arthur, which came out in 2004 and starred Clive Owen and Keira Knightley. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan. No. I'm not not a fan. Fair. It was a bit too hep and up to date, you know, and like it's uh, not my not my jam. Other than that, he has done a documentary about the Juventus Soccer Club, which was out in 2016, but he hasn't done anything else that I could find. So he crushes it with Amistad, crushes it with Gladiator, does that one movie, and then that's a question we always that always seems to come up on this podcast. Do people just like, yeah, I got my money. It's a shit ton of work and it's a lot of, there's a lot of BS in this industry. I did what I came to do. And I'm going to sit back and enjoy life. Right. Or I, I'm, I've now fulfilled that part of my life's work and life stream and I'm going to do something else. Mm-hmm. But in any case, so that's, that's the writer. That's a screenwriter, the, right. Um, director, of course, has been doing a ton. Uh, Ridley Scott directed uh, this movie, is one of the titans of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. His resume is so incredible. His resume this far, th- thus far, is so incredibly Huge. long. We cannot list it here. But a few highlights include Alien. Yes. Blade Runner, yes. Thelma and Louise, yes. Hannibal, mm-hmm. and that old 1984 Apple Macintosh Big Brother video that aired in Super Bowl 18. Apple's first he ever. He did that one. Yeah. Apple's Holy first cats. ever TV commercial. Holy cats. Uh, I have a question for you, ma'am. In my research, did you know that Ridley Scott was apparently convinced to direct Gladiator because of a painting? No. Yes, the producer showed Scott a copy of the Jean-Leon Jerome, and I, if I butcher that pronunciation. Jean-Leon Jerome. Jean, Jean, Jean-Leon Jerome, which I'm legally changing my name to next week. Okay. I'm going to be... Uh, okay, Maximus. <laughs> Scott, Scotticus, whatever you said you were at the beginning. It's an 1872 painting called Police Verso. It shows a glad... It's very famous. It shows a gladiator with a sword and shield standing on the throat of a fallen foe while he gazes up into the crowd. We do not know if he said, are you not entertained? Are you? We don't know that, but he's waiting for the audience to give the famous thumbs up or thumbs thumbs down symbol, which determine whether bro who is getting throat stepped upon uh, should be killed or not. And police verso is Latin for with a turned thumb. Now you told me during the when we were watching rewatching this that we have it wrong or the movie acquiesces to our modern usage of a thumb up or a thumb down yeah, where thumb yeah. up is good and thumb down is bad uh-huh. but actually in the coliseum it was the other way around and i did not get enough research on this you guys correct me if i'm wrong i believe what it was was the thumb level or meant down. they live i see the thumb up actually referred to jabbing someone in the throat blarg, blarg, so that, blarg, was, blarg, that blarg. was the finisher but uh the quote from ridley scott says that image sp- that image spoke to me of the Roman Empire in all its glory and wickedness. I knew right then and there I was hooked. And you always say you don't understand art. <laughs> Obviously, that art won. <laughs> that art won. Gladiator, Gladiator also stars Joaquin Phoenix as uh-huh. the evil emperor Commodus. Um, but I found out that Jude Law also auditioned for that, that role. That would have been good. That could have been good. Guess who auditioned for the lead role of Maximus? Who? Uh, Mel Gibson. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's one of those things that now that I know, mm-hmm. uh, and we were just talking about this on the last, I think, the last story smack about who who had who had wanted to have that Mel Gibson role in Lethal Weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And in that one, I could see Sylvester Stallone doing well in that part because he's yes. funny and, you know, and a lot of other people. Yes. In this one, I don't know if it's a function of I have seen Gladiator the way it exists mm-hmm. and I want that Gladiator movie because I love it. But I can't see. I can't you see. You can't see Mel Gibson. No, because. But like Braveheart is such a similar movie. It's similar beats I to- all the way through. That's part of my problem, right? So part of it is Braveheart. And uh-huh. Braveheart came a little earlier and it came sort of in the 80s, 90s, big hair heyday. Okay. And Russell Crowe as an actor is a little more malleable in his part with his looks and his weight and all that other stuff. He, mm-hmm. Mel Gibson does a little less of that. Okay. So for me, that's exactly the problem. I can't see Gibson's uh, William Wallace in Maximus's role. And yeah, I think it's a failing on my part here. I think I, I should make work a little harder there, but I can't seem I can't seem to picture anybody but Russell Crowe in their own. I do think it's clear that Ridley Scott has a thing for good-looking Australian guys, though. Yeah, well, fair, yeah. fair enough. Yes. Fair so enough. good on him. Some say that Gibson turned down the role because he felt he was too old. Uh, but Ridley Scott insists that Russell Crowe was always the first choice. Ridley had seen Russell Crowe in Romper Stomper and wanted to work with that him. That is a bonkers film, Romper Stomper. Yes, I don't remember why I watched it. I think it was shortly after Gladiator. And of course, everybody's like, well, fuck, I won an Academy Award. And, you know, I hadn't seen a lot of his work. So some of my friends were like, bro. And this was one of those conversations that is, uh, the, the prefix is bro, bro. Gotta see Romper Stomper, bro. It's madness. Yeah, and you know, I wonder, uh, there's that, I wonder if that, type of calling card exists in Hollywood anymore, Mm -hmm. um, where the same sort of thing that Nirvana did to music, like, oh, this is ugly and a little weird, but also really good. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing is, you haven't seen a lot like this before. Romper Stomper, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. But now, I don't know how many, I mean, I'm sure, I'm I'm just not that creative, and there's somebody who is right now making a balls out, weirdo, Mm -hmm. let's do this kind of movie, but now that the movie industry has gotten so sort of processized and so much more expensive and CGI and all that other stuff, I don't know how often you can make like a little indie crazy that would movie. Be, that'd be an interesting research project to take a look at, you know, who are, who are the hot young actors, to wa- actors and actresses to watch, like 30 under 30 kind of a thing, and then go look at their resume. I think there's probably a lot coming out of the horror industry right now because oh, there are a lot of really good horror films coming out that are done on very small budgets that rely heavily on acting. They're not about special effects. They are about the yeah, acting. Yeah, you're right. That's a things. really good point. Cause I can think now that it follows is one of those movies for yeah. me. Like it, it, you know, it, it wasn't a gigantic smash hit like Blair, Witch was, I was thinking to myself like Blair, Witch kind of changed, set the, the world on its ear. So did the sixth sense, but those mm-hmm. things now we see coming. Uh, Don't Breathe was another one. I know the pe- I can't remember the actors off the top of my head, but they were all they did a very very good job. The supporting actor did a good job. The killer, of course, who well, mm. they never get credit. The killers never get credit, which they and do the, all the heavy lifting. They do. The lead actress was sensational, and just I mean, you were like, this chick could do anything. I mean, because it's such a confined shot and a lot of super tight shots on her. So the movie lives or dies based mm. on her acting performance. So I think a lot of those smaller movies are where things are, are going on right now. So going back to an actor who did not get the recognition they deserved, uh, I was going to say that Joaquin Phoenix was Oscar-nominated oh. here, but he did not win. He did not win. He did not win. Uh, ma'am, this this is the best part of all the research that I did. Okay. Did you know there was supposed to be a sequel to Gladiator? Uh, no. Um, but how could there... Spoiler alert. <laughs> how could there be a sequel about the Gladiator was Maximus and his... 
his antagonist well, was Commodus, and they both died at the end. <laughs> There's two ways. They would have just got another gladiator, you know. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody even survived the end of that damn thing. I can't remember. But this is, this is just made of awesome. Ridley Scott and Russell Crowe hired musician Nick Cave of nice. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds to write the sequel. So apparently... In the sequel, this is a true story, you guys. I am not making this up, although this totally rings of Sigler bullshit. It is not Sigler bullshit. Maximus mucks about with Roman gods in the afterlife, and uh, they, they bring him back to life. They, he defends early Christians, reunites with his son, and ultimately lives forever. Reincarnated Maximus lives forever so long. And reincarnated, Max, reincarnated Maximus' son. And his, and his son. So we get that crazy happy ending. And get this. He leads tanks in the Second World War and even has scenes in the modern-day Pentagon. I mean, that would have been a weird canon. Yes, yes. That's really, really funny. So he's resurrected, he's time-traveling, yes. immortal, yes. gladiatorial, but also a tank-driving politician? I think, I think so. And don't forget Dedicated Father. We've got to have the touching moment. You have to be making this I'm up. I'm not making this up. It's a real thing. However, in a rare moment of sanity, a studio said... I don't think so. Oh, really? I can't imagine why. <laughs> With all the reboots and all the remakes and all the sequels and all the crazy crap that goes on, they've got Ridley Scott, best picture winning Ridley Scott, best actor uh, Russell Crowe, all coming back to say, hey, we've got this, let's make a Gladiator sequel. And even with that amazing lineup of power and power at that particular time in Hollywood, the studio was still like, Mm, yeah. I'll get back to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the movie itself. Time to share our thoughts about uh, this epic flick. Uh, there's so much in this. I think the opening scenes, the opening battle scene in Germania is one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. One of my favorite battle scenes of all time. Because they did such a great job of conveying the power of technology. Now, when you think about the mm. Roman Roman Empire and Roman army... You think a lot of things, high tech doesn't exactly come to mind because of our current paradigm and how we look at things. But sure. they, they were drastically with the ballistas and the catapults and, the, and their organization and their armor and their tactics. Their technology was so far ahead of everyone they fought that it was just largely a slaughter. And the opening scene with the flaming arrows and the, the flaming clay pots, which they didn't actually use apparently historically, but it still looked pretty damn good. Yeah. And just the the shock and awe they laid down upon the Germanic tribes before they went into the hand-to-hand battle. It was spectacular. It's one of the best things Ridley Scott's ever done. Mm, interesting, which is a pretty big list of things he's done. He's done a lot of things. Yeah. But then there's th- then they get into the hand-to-hand fight scenes, and uh, we talked about Lethal Weapon last episode, begin- becoming the beginning of Shaky Cam, and there's a ton of Shaky Cam in, uh, in Gladiator. Yeah, and it's interesting to me because you are so heavily opposed to Shaky Cam in general. Mm. And I certainly see in a hand-to-hand combat where you'd like to see the hand-to-hand combat mm-hmm. that you might miss it, but I also don't understand how you have thousands of men on the battlefield dozens and dozens of types of weapons on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. You have horses, you have uh, trebuchets, you have all sorts of stuff. That could get a little shaky. Uh, it could get a little shaky. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things. The, the directors who can direct action can direct action. The ones that uh, maybe that's not their strong suit or they're trying to create some kind of gestalt. Um, you know, like, but I think the larger communication that most of these directors are trying to do is like, we're going to show you the madness of battle with all this crazy blurry stuff and this sped up frame rate and all these other things. 
and it works for a lot of people. Um, but then you go back and you watch Braveheart, and they did not use those tactics, I'd and be it's interested. spectacular. I'd be interested to know if there was absolutely no shaky cam in Braveheart, because... There's a little. Yeah, I was going to say, I think these tactics, tactics are tactics that rub you the wrong way, but are also now what moviegoers have come to expect. Yeah. So they're hamstrung a little bit, because that is how you show the scope of a well, battle and stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's cheaper and faster to shoot yeah. it that way. If you want to go through, if, you want to go through the choreography and shoot it a hundred times to get it just right, there's a huge expense associated sure. with that. If you just want to have guys go out and start clanging swords together and you loosely choreograph it and then you cut the, cut the frame and shake the camera, it's, it's a faster, cheaper shoot. Yeah, and I, I would be surprised if there's no shaky cam in Braveheart. There's a little. I, like I said, there's a little. I will say, for me, what's, I, don't, I don't mind the shaky cam like you do, um, but I always hate, unless it is a character point of view camera angle, mm-hmm. And we know we're looking through like John Malkovich's eyes or whatever. Mm-hmm. I hate when stuff gets on the screen, on the, on the lens. Yes. And in this battle, there's a couple, there are two scenes where uh, mud splatters on the camera lens and it takes me right out of the fact. I'm also not yeah. a fan. I'm only a fan of the mud splatters on the screen and it's there for like an eighth of a second. And then you cut to the lead character wiping stuff right. out of his right. eyes. Or that's like I said, okay. if we knew that it was, yeah, that's okay. I'll give you that. And if we knew it was a point of view camera angle, mm-hmm. I'm okay with that too. So we get through that big big battle in the beginning and uh, they show the technology, of the, the tactics, the unified tactics of the shield wall, which is great because that comes into play later in the arena. And then there's, uh, then there's the great line with the, uh, with the emperor and Maximus talking to him. And he says, well, there's, there's no one left to fight. And the emperor says, emperors. There's always someone left to fight. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ooh, that guy was dope. That guy was great. I didn't look up who that actor was, but he's amazing. Uh, and then... Isn't it Christopher Lee? Is, no, it's not no, Christopher Lee. No, it's Christopher um, Lee. You look, that, you look that up. Yeah, I'll talk okay. about the next line. A really a really cool tip of the hat to, um, you know, the, the just the way things were back in the day when they're talking to the female lead and the emperor says, that's his daughter, if only you had been born a man, what a Caesar you would have been. So... Flat yeah. out, she's the most qualified person for for the position. Right. She can't have it because she's got tits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, he made he made her. He did. He he could have. He was he, it was the emperor. Could have done all kinds of crazy stuff. And then yeah. the great one of my favorite lines. That, of course, he offers Maximus the uh, Caesarship. Is that what you call it? The, yeah, I the, guess so. The role is Caesar. And he, 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 he says he's going to name him as emperor. Name him as emperor. Goes. And Russell Crowe Maximus turns it down. And then that is why it must be you. So awesome. Good, great stuff. And we get into what I think one of the strengths of Russell Crowe is throughout this movie is he does an enormous amount of communication without saying a word. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scene with Commodus after the battle in the tent, um, you see, you see his reaction when Commodus is like, I may call upon you. And all Maxus wants to do is go. He just wants to go the hell home. He's done right. it all. He's conquered the world. He wants to go home to his wife and kid and get on his farm. Uh, and then, of course, when the season, the scene where Caesar asks him to become the protector of Rome, you can see Russell Crowe does. I think he does an amazing job. Just face, eyes, where he's looking, communicates so much in such a short. And I didn't notice it the first couple of times I watched it. Yeah. Third, fourth, fifth time I watched this movie, I'm like, holy shit, that's amazing. So we were watching with a friend, and we talked about um, right at that moment. I believe that. Of course, I know how the movie ends. This is mm-hmm. the third or fourth time I've watched it. But even so, once you know that, there's the, there's depth to the performances, and that is uh, Richard Harris, who played Richard Marcus Harris. Aurelius. Okay. Um, and that's especially powerful, right? Richard Harris is a 
a world-renowned actor for good reason. Russell Crowe is a world-renowned actor for good reason. And they have this moment where, where Marcus Aurelius says, I, I'm going to make you Caesar. I'm going to make you emperor. Mm-hmm. And they just, and, and Russell Crowe looks at him. And I think in that moment, Russell Crowe is actually telegraphing as Maximus that his entire life path is now, no matter what he chooses, he knows this has ruined his life. Yeah, th- he, this has done. changed his life anyway. And, uh, and all he wants to do is go home, be with his wife and his kid. And, and Caesar, of course, can't allow that. And, and he knows that, yeah, this is not going to end well for anybody, mm-hmm. I think. And he does a beautiful job of it. So he, he, has, his, he has his showcase. And then uh, about an hour in, we get our first gladiating. Okay. And it's, it's largely just kind of a hack and slash crazy fight where Maximus doesn't really give a shit about being alive anymore because he's lost everything. But at the same time, he's like, you ain't putting that sword in me, bro. Right. Bro. Right. Bro. It's not going to happen. And he's very, I think that's a lead up to the, to the, like, I think he is a leader and he knows he's good at it when he's on the battlefield and he's a general. Mm-hmm. And then I think he loses all that and becomes a slave, which is why he becomes a gladiator, because a gladi- gladiatorial troop owner buys him. Yep. And uh, then he's like... In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Find The Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. You know, he has this transitional moment, which I don't think the character knows, but it gives us a chance to see him, like, still proficient, still practicing, Mm -hmm. really proving that he earned his keep on the battlefield. Yes. And then he has to grow again into... Yeah, so I'm a slave, but I can lead these other men, and we can still be moral and just, yeah. and, or at least in our world or whatever. And he becomes, again, the general, but his his army is vastly smaller and truly in a different way fighting for their lives, which they never did before. And there's a lot of chest-thumpy male testosterone stuff going on in this, because it it was... I thought the screenwriting was exceptional in a couple of areas. One of the areas that's exceptional is... As uh, and I can't speak for women. I'm sure it's largely the same thing. But as an American dude, you know, you get to a point in your life where you start to you start to really accept the mortality of what's of what's going on. Like even if you just kick ass and you're perfectly healthy, you know, an American male, 68, 70, 72, somewhere in that ballpark. That's all the time you got. When you're a kid, that seems like an infinite amount of time. As sure. you get older, you're like, shit, shit's coming up pretty quick. What is the quality of the life I'm leading? What am I, what am, am I going to leave a mark? Will I have a legacy? Uh, how do I represent other people, et cetera? 
And he's able to condense that into this because all of these awesome, huge, talented guys, these mean fighting dudes, they all know their, their lifespan is measured in days, if not maybe weeks. They don't have a lot of time. Yeah. And there's, so even though they're slaves, even though they are completely constrained by their society and the construct they're in, there is still that, that moment of pride where, you know, you're, you're going to fight like a man, you're going to die like a man, and people will remember you for, for finishing your days on your feet fighting like a man. Even though they're all going to die, that still matters. That's yeah. very important. And I would argue that's a human condition. Human condition? It okay. has to be male or American. I think at all... Every, at least the part of it where we all think we're invincible when we're young, mm-hmm. then kind of dance around the outside for me in my 30s, I guess, of, yeah, no, I guess I won't live forever, but yeah, I'm going to live this perfect, great life forever. Mm-hmm. And then then you sort of get into your middle age where I, you, where I am now and you realize like, okay, I have a finite amount of time. I think everybody does that where they have to surrender slowly their immortality, mm-hmm. their own a false idea that they're immortal, but everybody does it a different way. That day that you grow up, I think, you know, maybe happens for some of those gladiators uh, in the moment. Like this is, I'm I'm only, I might only have like a week or less of an adult life. So I better grow up and step in, step Step up to the plate. Stand up. And in the movie now we get into uh, Comet is coming to power and we watch the extended cut. And I recommend it if you haven't seen it before. There's some absolutely gorgeous, giant panoramic scenes with Commodus and, and a few other scenes that didn't make it in the theatrical cut. And it's, it's shocking. You're like, how much money did they spend in this thing that didn't even get in? So there's really good stuff there. But we see Commodus come into power, and there are some parallels to our modern society. This is an incredibly inexperienced leader. No training in government, no interest in government, et cetera. And now he is in charge of the most powerful nation on the planet. Yeah. So that was well, interesting. Well, not only that, he's selfish. He's prud- he's selfish. He's uh, preening. He's uh, uh, vain. Mm-hmm. All of those things too. He's also in love with his sister, which is super creepy. And I'm at least as far as I can tell, it's not a modern day equivalency, which is good. We do see a parallel in Game of Thrones, though. Makes you wonder if uh, George R. R. watches and like, oh, they almost did it. <laughs> I can top that. Maybe, I guess. (laughs) And then we get a great quote, one of my favorite quotes in the movie. Uh, Gracchus is the dude with the, he's one of the the characters who's trying to bring down Commodus, Mm -hmm. and he's talking to Falco. And we get this great quote where Gracchus is referring to uh, Commodus maybe knows more about what he's doing than people think. And again, the bread and circuses concept maybe has some parallels to modern society and Twitter in particular. But Gracchus says, I think he knows what Rome is. Rome is the mob. Conjure magic for them and they'll be distracted. Take away their freedom and they'll still roar. The beating heart of Rome is not the marble of the Senate. It's the sand of the Colosseum. He'll bring them death and they will love him for it. So not, obviously that is not going on with us right now, but the basic concepts of politics, distraction, Uh illusion, immediately take problem for the masses problem for problem for the masses and if they're if you've done something there's a problem hurry up and go invent another problem mm-hmm. and shiny flashy thing and get everybody fired up about that yeah and i'll say that actor who plays gracchus is derek jacoby and okay. he's he is was born for i mean he did a whole bunch of other things but really truly born for this sort of role mm-hmm. this commanding holy roman empire shakespearean yeah. uh but but quiet in his power kind of guy. He's done quite a lot of any modern Shakespeare. Anybody listening has probably watched on film. Okay. Uh, he's been okay. in quite a lot of those. So he brings that same oh, yeah. quiet gravitas to this role, which is 
it's interesting how much power going into this they had. They had Richard Harris and Derek Jacobi. So, 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 so many very, very famous um, and very solid actors. They were great. They are great. So we get, we, we continue with our gladiating and, and Maximus is instructed, don't just hack them to pieces. Remember, you are an entertainer which I thought was really cool. The troop owner, clearly, who died during the shooting of this, and mm-hmm. they had to finish up a few scenes with CGI, which I couldn't spot, so I'm not sure what, it, what they did. But um, remember, you're an entertainer, and an hour and seven minutes in, it starts to get a little weird. We get to a, a five-on-one. Maximus just walks out by himself, five other dudes, completely unfazed, goes through them like butter, no problem. But also no entertaining. I think that is, that's part of that's his... That's what let it, yeah. Right, that's part of his growth where he says, sure, I'll entertain people. And then he's like, what are you going to do? What's the worst you can do? What, are you going to kill me if I don't entertain him? <laughs> Screw you guys. <laughs> shoop, 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 done. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he cuts him up. We get to Rome, and uh, we'll shorthand this because uh, we'll, we're running a little long, I think. But the, uh, there's a great moment where the emperor of Rome is afraid of the dark. Yes. And you find he doesn't like to sleep alone. For two reasons. Number one, afraid of the dark. Number two, wants to diddle his sister. Yeah, well, I think he wants to impregnate his sister. Oh, is that right? Oh, yes. And he ta- there's a scene that where he sort of hints at that, like maybe they could have a, because his sister has a child from her dead husband yep. and uh, loves that like his own son. And, jo- and Joaquin standing over him is so creepy. So creepy, yeah. right? And it's interesting because Joaquin Phoenix's character, Commodus, has, has all that vanity and pomp and circumstance when he's trying to appear emperor like Mm -hmm. and then once he's angry enough that he does not give a shit and he's going to he thinks he's going to kill maximus and that will make everyone love him Mm -hmm. um he becomes a lot more visceral and real and and manly i don't know i don't mean to say man i i mean he looks less uh put upon and much more comfortable in his own skin right he settles into the role starts to accept his power but i think that's on purpose i think it's not joaquin phoenix getting better at the role i think it's oh, commodus yeah. getting red get, getting better at being an emperor this joaquin phoenix performance in this is fucking lights out yeah it's it's it stands the test of time i find it hard to believe he'll ever do anything to top his performance in that particular role he's Great to look at. He he's got that pouty. Um, the it, mulishness is really yeah. really impressive because you think he's so. It's weird. He sort of transforms, and I know that that costuming has a lot to do with it, mm-hmm. and that's a well deserved uh, yes, Oscar win, I definitely. think. But he's when he's when he's pretending to the throne, and he knows he didn't. He knows he killed his dad, and he doesn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. And he knows he stole it because the, he knew what his dad wanted, which was for Maximus to to lead. Um, and so he knows he's still it, and he's got all this sort of, you know, like he looks like his shoulders are hunched and his chest is caved in, and he's wearing way too many clothes because he wants all the pomp and circumstance and be decked with ribbons and and, award, and medals and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when he's like, yeah, okay, now I'm mad, and I feel like my one of my oldest friends, it's Maximus, they grew up together, has betrayed me, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think my sister still wants to date him like they did in high school which I want to date my sister. Plus also, I know my dad liked him better than he liked me. And why am I not lovable? And then he's like, you know what? All this is done. I'm done with all of this. He pimps out and his hair gets like, he stops pimping up his hair or puffing up his hair or whatever. And it just gets a lot. And he gets a lot scarier. I will say in his defense, every, every straight male in the world wants to date his sister. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, probably more than that. She was. Well, I can only speak for this one tiny yeah. demographic. I'm pretty sure it's a it's a, it's a un, it's unanimous. Although <laughs> Connie Nielsen is beautiful, awesome. she's talented. She's she awesome did a great it. job. I should have looked it up before we talked about it on the podcast. But whenever she goes to the to the Coliseum mm-hmm. and they're watching from the skybox, she has this weird, like little dots of eyeliner or henna or something mm-hmm. connecting her eyebrows together. Yeah, which. I didn't know was a fashion thing. Had and I'm to be. kind of glad it's not a fashion thing because it's weird. You're like, did you just make yourself a unibrow? Because I mean, you're still really gorgeous, but maybe a little thing. less gorgeous than you were before. Oh, no, unibrow, the unibrow could be very sexy. I'm just saying, why not just leave your hair growing together? Who you know knows? That? Whatever. Who knows? And then things start to fall apart, and uh, they start to arrest scholars and anyone who dares speak out against Commodus and his ways. And he's burning through the treasury. And although we don't have scholars being arrested today, we do have scholars getting completely devalued and their mm-hmm. work getting devalued. Mm-hmm. So, was, of course, I'm watching everything through the paradigm of what's happening to us right now. But to see a lot of hardcore science and decades and decades of science now being fake either, news. Well, fake news, but either being taken off, like let's get rid of all of this information, or you actually have the people in charge of agencies for the United States government saying this isn't accurate, this isn't accurate. Yeah, I don't like, have any proof, but, but this isn't accurate. It's so that was we don't have anybody getting arrested yet. yet. I don't think we will. I mean, that's I mean, too except much. for Muhammad Ali Jr. keeps getting arrested, but yeah, 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 yeah. I think that getting he, detained anyway, not because he's speaking out, because he just happens to be. Hey, you were black with a. Muslim name. So let's. You're super famous black with a Muslim name. We can't get it right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not, not that it would be okay if they got it right and let him through, but let somebody else who that, wasn't famous. That part through, is going but... really well for us right yeah. now. At an hour and 28 minutes, and we see some of the underground workings of the Coliseum. If you guys have never seen any of the documentaries on all the moving parts of the Coliseum, it's, uh, it's spectacular. They're, what they were able to do, where all of the stuff was stored under the arena floor and under the stands, is great. Something I. I Reference a lot in the Galactic Football League series. People may be surprised to know. These 10 facts about the GFL might shock you. <laughs> is putting everything right under the stadium because modern football is, uh, modern American football, of course, is a direct echo to the gladiatorial games. Armor, colorful, huge crowds, people violently battling it out on the pitch. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're very close. And now we're 30 no minutes. No tigers, though. Well, yeah, there's tigers all over the place. There's Bengals. That's true. That's Santa. true. There's, That's a good there's, point. There's wildcats. There's a lot of tigers. There are a lot of tigers. Yes. No, the, no, no whiskered tigers. No actual quadruped tigers. Quadruped unless tigers. Unless you count the mascots. And then there's also a bunch of those. That's true. So an hour, 30 minutes in, we get our first overwhelming view of the inside of the arena. And God, we get, that's such a beautiful shot. Yeah, it's Ridley Scott's just, he's dope. I mean, there's no question for any problems this film has, you watch that and you just can't talk. You can't speak. You're in it with those guys. And you're like, even though now we've seen, like I've been in a stadium with 110,000 people. Right. So I've lived it and seen it, but he does such a good job of slowly building up to it that even though we've seen things that are two times and three times as large, you watch that and you're like, holy shit, bro. Right. And it's also that that is a composed shot and so clearly there's some some scene painting that went on to to add light and stuff like uh-huh. that in CGI but it's also i think a very precise decision like you can see in the sort of the mid rank of the of the seats you can see a whole bunch of movement like people doing they're not doing a wave but whatever the ancient roman <laughs> equivalent should, of doing the wave is the wave. Uh, but something like that so it's interesting because you're 
your eye is also pulled right to the middle of the screen so that you see the pitch and you see the sky Mm -hmm. as sort of peripheral and you're like, I've been in a gigantic stadium or something (laughs) like that. It sort of looks like this. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. And then we get to our first big battle uh, where Commodus, or excuse me, Maximus takes over and like, how many of you have military service? I served with you here, sir. And he's able to immediately, anybody who will listen to him. inside the arena. Inside the arena. Um, Immediately, his natural command comes out and the people who respond to that wind up surviving. Most of them survive. Everybody who's dumb and drifts away gets slaughtered. And this was interesting. You know, it's, it's a movie about gladiatorial fighting and there's some spectacular, spectacular fight scenes in it. That fight scene with the chariots, you have no idea what's going on. How many chariots are there? Shit's going all over the place. And again, Ridley Scott goes for the general confusion with a few punctuated, you know, clear things and yeah, splashes but that, of blood that and also shit like might, that. Might not be a practical decision. That might be the storytelling. Because remember, it's called Gladiator, and it's about a gladiator. But the gladiator doesn't fucking want to be a gladiator. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't. If you look at it from Maximus's perspective, and if it's Maximus's story and movie how he does the thing he is forced to do or else he'll be killed doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. We should have seen more, which we do see more in the in the um, beginning when he's still a general and he's in Germania. You see more of his decisions with, with a broadsword or a longsword or whatever. You see how he chooses to battle several warriors. But I think right. once he's a gladiator, it's not about him. It's not about his proficiency anymore. It's about his survival and his put-uponness that, and his persecution. But do you think, so you think that is a conscious choice? So we're about his put upon us and his persecution and his survival. So maybe you're saying he's kind of, we're kind of closing it down to his view. And since he can't see everything at once, we don't really get to understand what's happening in the arena. Yeah. And, and I think we, that's a subtle nod in the storytelling um, where we are saying like w- when he was a general, it was impressive to see him cut off someone's head and stick his, and as he did that, get his longsword stuck in a tree and mm-hmm. then know to go back to retrieve it. So he's always aware where he is on the battlefield. And in between, he picked up just another regular sword and killed a couple other dudes on the way. And then he went back and got his sword because he's a general and he's impressive. Mm-hmm. But at this point in the story, it's not about how impressive he is on the battlefield. It's about him fighting for his life in a way that he doesn't deserve and didn't expect and can't control because he's persecuted. At an hour and 45 minutes in the extended cut, we get, I believe this was a cut scene because I don't remember this seeing this ever before, but a great scene with um, execution of a couple of soldiers who are randomly chosen as these guys, it's these guys fault that Maximus escaped earlier in a scene. The sister's like, well, you know, you've got to teach the army a lesson if the army let him go. And Commodus is like, I'd hate to be your enemy, sister. Um, and then they have a firing squad mm-hmm. with arrows and mm-hmm. it's a, another Joaquin lights out scene for Joaquin Phoenix. This is kind of the scene where he comes into his own and that was not, I'm pretty sure that wasn't in the, the theatrical cut. So yeah, you get to see him come into either, his own yeah. and it's one of the few scenes in the second half of the movie where he's wearing no armor mm-hmm. and he, he just kind of commands a scene and then they, they do a pretty good job of the firing squad. That's some brutal, brutal shit. Yeah. And I, that it's, it's right around this moment in both versions. Uh, the, the extended cut is, th- is three hours long. It's two hours and 53 minutes long. Yeah. For me, that's a little much. I mean, you just, it, it's, a movie is its own medium, right? So there are very few worthy of more than two hours and 15 minutes, maybe two hours and 15 minutes we're used to in this day and age, but it's an excessively long movie. Very long. You have to pee twice. Like once you got to pee twice, you just, it's too long. Okay. But, um, the, so I, it's a, it's a, it's a two on the P scale. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but 
but that is the same moment in the film in the director's cut and the extent and the normal version where where Matt, I was just saying Maximus sort of comes into his own like if this is who I am and this is how I'm going to die not that he wasn't well put together before but he finds his center again mm-hmm. fuck it I'm going to do it my way and the same thing happens to Commodus at mm-hmm. that moment where he's like oh okay so you think that I'm a puppet head and I'm not going to make you general I'm not going to make you be accountable for your troops even though I think you as a general let General Maximus go, which is the underlying story there. Yep. Uh, yeah, you can either take the place of these two guys, which you won't do because mm-hmm. you're selfish human, or you can tell, give the order give to the fire. Give the order to kill him. Yeah. And that is, finally, he's accepting the dark side, essentially. Yeah, he is. And, and, and reveling in it, just like Kylo Ren does. And then we get to the amazing scenes about an hour and 53 minutes into the extended cut where tigers and shit. Like, that's all you need to know. It's, it's tigers and shit. And we're not talking about mascots. No, we're not talking about mascots. We're talking about actual tigers. It's dope. And then Maximus, of course, not only survives the tigers and Gallicus, I think his name is, the, the undefeated warrior. And then he doesn't kill him. To, he ignores the emperor and the crowd both. And then the emperor comes down. And then we get some serious James Bondy and shit. Where Commodus is like, why won't you die? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> just, just kill him. You're Caesar. Pick up a goddamn sword. They're all over the place and stab that motherfucker in the heart and in the belly and kill him. Okay, fair. And that is a general flaw in movie making where you go to tell so that the audience is with you. You go say, no, Mr. Maximus, I expect you to die. I expect you to die. That said, there is also a lot of reinforcement in the movie itself, in the script itself, okay. that and he, if he is standing on the sand at the Coliseum... He needs them to be, he needs the crowd to be with him because yes. if the crowd goes home and is not with him, then he's not going to keep his emperorship. Correct. And of course, the crowd is absolutely with Maximus at that sure. moment because sure. he's the rebel and the underdog, you know? Yes. And so, yes, Commodus could kill him. Bad boy of the gladiator games. But eventually, you know, if Commodus is like, sure, and anybody who doesn't like it, you die too, he yeah. eventually kills off enough of his constituency. They're not paying taxes. And they're the mob and they rise up. Well, one, they're put upon in the mob and they rise up. Two, they're not generating income because they're not paying taxes, which is spending how he's spending all of their money. Right. So eventually the tides turn because people can't make their own monthly nut, you know, and that would happen there too. So he, he's, his hands are tied and he has to find a way to do it. Two hours and 16 minutes. I felt bad for Commodus. He almost, he almost gets a chance to taste that forbidden fruit. You know what I'm saying? Gets his sister in bed. Things are going good. And then Commodus. I mean, except for the sister. Except things for the are sister not, thing. Things I mean, are actually going Commodus horribly, pers- horribly, horribly bad for but the you sister. You know, if you're identifying with Commodus, you're like, okay, go, man. You got this. You got this locked up. Who is identifying with Commodus? I don't know. But then Commodus, he made it weird. He made it weird and blew the whole thing. Oh, there. When he was <laughs> fucking his sister by force, which is normally called rape, then he made it weird. Uh, yeah. Well, this is the part before the force business. They're just laying down in bed. They're just chilling. And how Little does he Netflix make it weird? is on. Well, no, he nuzzles. He's like, dude, what are you going for the nuzzle? She's already uncomfortable. You go for the nuzzle. That's your sister. Come on, dude. Yeah. Have a little bit of a, a scope of the environment. I'm super uncomfortable with this train of thought. <laughs> I'm this trying is to all make, shitty. I'm trying to make it positive. It's so creepy. It's, it's so, so weird shitty. and so creepy. Yeah. And then, then everybody, of course, we know how the movie ends. And mm-hmm. we get to the great final battle between a wounded Maximus uh, who, who perseveres and is is so much honor and integrity and sheer willpower. Even though he's already received a fatal wound, which is hidden, he finds that inner strength to finish the job. 
And Commodus in that dope bomb white armor outfit, (laughs) you come out and you're like, dude, that's so good. Because he's wearing a lot of dark blues and black. And all of a sudden he steps out like, shapow. You know, it's like like (laughs) Vegas, Vegas show. And he's like the Liberace of the gladiators. To be fair, he did look a little Liberace, but it's interesting because you're right. It was very strong like ox gladiatorial and a little less Liberace than you would think. Yeah, but it, yeah. So they, they hit so many things and then they do a couple of establishing shots. So you see how it would look from the people in the stands and he is blazing like a white angel upon the bloodied sands of the Coliseum. And you know, you can't help me like, dang, that dude, that dude looks hot. Let's go, man. Kill him. Let's do it. Kill that other grungy dude. Let's go. It's a lot of WWE going on in that. But we see, we see that our good guy, our good guy defeats the heel. Our good guy who's not wearing white. Our baby face defeats the heel, busts him a couple, pops him in the chops a couple times, finishes a job. We do not get that, I would kill you, but you have made me who I am. So I will therefore let you live and be a better man because of it, which gratefully has died a slow death in Hollywood. Just kill Yeah, but in this story especially, there is... Yeah, I agree with you. And you mean then he is going to go walk away and leave Commodus' yeah. life and then Commodus rallies one more time to try and kill him and he has to die. Which yeah, we saw right. which we saw in Lethal Weapon. Yeah, we need less of that yes. in Hollywood. But that said, I think that by then Maximus is not he's not even there for the crowds. He's not there for his own life. He's not there for the crowds. He's there to avenge his family. Mm-hmm. And that if he's fine dying the second he does that, which is essentially what happens. That's the only thing he was living for. Yeah, exactly. We can't, I guess we forgot about that. The only reason he stayed alive was a chance to go to Rome, meet the emperor. So he was willing to do, which is interesting. He's willing to kill a hundred dudes who have nothing to do with his circumstances in order to get in front of the emperor. Well, I don't, yeah, it's only once they know that they're going. Remember, because when he's enslaved, uh, what's his name? Proximo? The guy mm-hmm. who Proximo, the right. Yeah. Uh, there is there are no gladiator fights at the Coliseum. It's only once Commodus comes to power mm-hmm. and decides, oh, we don't need grain storage and stores for the next two years so our people can eat through the winter. Let's sell off those grain reserves and throw a giant gladiator party. Yeah. yeah. So he does 158, 150 days of gladiator gladiatorial battles because he wants to. And mm-hmm. what he does is sell off his citizenry's future to pay for it. Yeah. And... And when the Senate complains, he tries to shut down the Senate. Arrest him, all that business. So when when Gladiator's first, in, in, or Maximus is first enslaved, there is no shot at revenge because he thinks he'll die somewhere there. And that's why he doesn't have the scope and the glamour. He's like, if you're going to make me kill or kill, eventually I'll get tired of this and somebody will win. But mm-hmm. but then at the moment where Proxima is like, we are headed to the Coliseum, he's like, Really? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So I think you're right. He still kills a lot of people, but when yeah. but I don't think he spends his entire career as a gladiator good trying point. to get trying to get good, to the good point. Good point. Ah, well, I thoroughly enjoyed watching the movie at tenth time. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure, but it was pretty dope. So that covers our thoughts on Gladiator. Almost. What about the time-traveling, tank-shooting, hard-fighting family drama sequel? <laughs> no. Yeah. Sadly, we are going to have to just live it's, without it's that. It's like all in the family with gladiators. I think we don't need that. Nobody okay. needs that. 
If you have any questions or any needs for Scott or from or questions for me, or if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on a future episode of Story Snack, please email us at info at emptyset.com. You can find us both online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram, and his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am a real girl on Twitter and a.real.girl on Instagram. And you can find us and Story Smack at scottsigler.com slash storysmack. We would love to see your comments there. You can find us on iTunes, search for Scott Sigler Audiobooks, and subscribe. You'll get a free audiobook episode every Sunday and a big hit of Story Smack every Friday. And next week, we'll be back with a discussion on the King Kong franchise. All the history, but not going to lie to you, we're prepping for my European tour, so we don't know if we will get to it. We will try. We, we will try, and we hope so. And catch us next week or the week after that. And until then, we'll talk to you all real soon. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.